Before we begin today's episode, I wanted to let you know that this is a special episode where I will be reading chapter one of my epic fantasy, The Birth Challenge. This chapter is labeled Left Behind. And for those of you that don't know, The Birth Challenge is an upper YA or new adult fantasy. This book is available on May 2nd, and if you would rather read versus listen, chapter one is available in the show notes, and I want to thank you all for following me and listening to this. This has been kind of my baby, my heart, my joy, and I'm so thankful that I get to share it with you and with the world. Enjoy. Hello, welcome Heartfelt Leaders to Practicing Life podcast with me, your host, Ashley Pitzer. I am a fantasy author, life coach, and hypnotist, and I am against perfectionism, which is why this talk show is called Practicing. This is a place where we normalize mistakes, failures, and difficult decisions and transform them into blessings. This podcast is about sharing life lessons and the stories around overcoming them and what was learned from them. There is no one way to live life, but you can all learn from others and decide what works best for you. I am here to support, lift up, and help heartfelt leaders like you be seen. If you are ready to hear people's stories and really see them, then stay tuned. Hi, this is Ashley Pitzer, the author of The Birth Challenge. Thank you so much for listening to this recording. Many have asked, how did I come about this story? This story came to me during the pandemic, during a dark time when things were uncertain. Most of this was consciously streamed. The story you are about to listen to is about a character named Sabina. She faces a birth challenge, which is a rite of passage, where she will discover whether or not she inherits any supernatural abilities. Supernatural abilities came into being after a nuclear war destroyed most of Earth, leaving very few survivors. Out of those survivors, a few of them adopted supernatural gifts. The world was able to survive because of these supernatural gifts. And so the rite of passage, the birth challenge, is a super important event in Sabina's life but she finds out that her father isn't going to be there. Brahm has a mission, and that mission is to save as many people who have supernatural abilities as possible. Deserted on her birth challenge, Brahm leaves her with eight potential suitors. Let's begin. Chapter 1, Left Behind A sadness rested like an ocean on Sabina's chest. Big, vast, and full of tidal waves that crashed and beat against her heart, as if it was insignificant in its powers. This sadness was, once again, brought on by her father's impending departure, which always elicited a set of stacked questions. Questions that Sabina didn't want to acknowledge but was constantly teasing her mind. Questions that she couldn't bear to know the answer to because she feared what they would mean. And questions 
that always had the potential to give her the validation she so desperately needed. Hugging herself tighter as her soul wept, Sabina looked out over the still pond on another perfect day. It was not lost to her that her soul was as invisible to her as her presence was to the world. Even in nature, with serenity all around her, Sabina was unable to remove the pinched eyebrows, the stiffness in her crossed arms, or the roundness of her spine as she burrowed into herself, protecting her fragile heart from the brutality of the crashing waves. She hated when her father left for his work excursions. She especially hated the feeling of abandonment and isolation it brought her. Nevertheless, the countdown to her father's leaving had started. She could feel it in her body as the waves of sadness inside her chest crested higher and higher. Soon, Sabina would be physically, emotionally, and mentally alone as her father recruited a new prospect, a messenger from Alley World, for her village, Sylvie Dome. The painful questions that always popped up when her father left came. This was the inescapable cycle of her life, a cycle of always running away from the pain those questions brought up. Sabina couldn't outrun her own self-betraying thoughts. Tulum, Sabina thought. Those habitual, torturous questions showed up no matter how often Sabina silenced them or buried them deep within her. Tonight was no different. Those annoying, unwelcoming questions whispered incessantly as she stood alone, feeling like the world was dark in this bright, perfect place. Will I ever be loved? Will I ever be enough? When will I be worthy? Stop it. Be grateful for what you have, Sabina said to herself. She forced air into her lungs despite them being weighed down. Closing her eyes, and lifting her face to the warm sun, she attempted to soothe the ocean of feelings inside of her while a few tears gathered behind her closed eyes. Dark, brooding thoughts about the unfairness of it all made it difficult for Sabina to soothe her wounds. From the announcement of her father's trip to the awareness of her teacher's mounting dissatisfaction with her poor performance, Sabina's wounds festered. It was unfair that the village cared more about gaining another resource and less about her desire to have her father by her side for her birth challenge. The birth challenge was a defining moment in one's life, more important than any other moment in one's life except for the rare cases when a couple were so devoted to one another that they bound their energy together as one energy for eternity. This is what happened when a couple tied. The birth challenge was a rite of passage where a child transitioned into adulthood. It consisted of a ceremony where a child was recognized as an adult, 
by choosing their name and their vocational path. The ceremony had two parts for anyone who was a resident of Sylvidome, named so for the faint silver dome shield that encapsulated the village and kept the people safe. The first part of the ceremony was a spiritual ritual, where the newly acclaimed adult fully opened their chakra centers to receive their Muwind talents, if they had any. Muwinds are supernatural talents inherited randomly. Of the eight Muwins, there were variations of how it showed up, from the strength of it to the level of it. The second part of the ceremony was a test to determine the vocation of the adult. It was required that each adult chose three vocations to be tested on. These tests qualified the adult and decided how they would serve the village. Sylvidome was a magical place that was unique, resourceful, primitive, and peaceful. It was a village that honored traditions and service to others, a place where people were mostly equal, and a place where people could be who and what they were because inclusivity was the social norm. As rare as it was to live in a place that had inclusivity, it was not what Silverdome was known for. Silverdome was known for collecting individuals who possessed Muwins. Outside the dome wall, if someone had a Muwin, they fought for survival. There was a group of powerful people who desired to enslave anyone with a Muwin, but they also would kidnap them and put them into slavery. These small raiding groups were known as selectors. Therefore, Silverdome was a safe haven. It wasn't a place for everyone. Some viewed it as a friendly type of slavery, where no one could get ahead in life, as if it was a dull existence, lacking competition or proving oneself. Sabina didn't mind any of that. She only longed to be seen, understood, and included. Sabina opened her eyes and festered on how unfair it was that her father constantly was traveling. He was the one person she could truly be unguarded with and be herself. Although she did not need to prove herself in the sense of accolades, she did need to feel like she belonged. Sadly, she didn't belong, not in the way that gave her fulfillment. Therefore, when her father, Brom, left for work, she lost the only person who showed her love. She lost her main connection to the village. Despite her father's vital role in her life and her attachment to him, Sabina didn't feel like she knew her father. She didn't have a normal relationship with him like other parents had with their kids. Brom was always gone, and when he was home, his mind was elsewhere, like solving problems or consulting with people. If he wasn't doing those things, he was welcoming another Muwin rescue into the community and housing them until they were acclimated into the village. 
He was passionate about saving people with Muwins, which was why his vocation for the village was a scouter. He was responsible for finding and saving threatened Muwin individuals who would strengthen the collective of Sylvie Dome. Brahm was skilled at convincing them to become a resident of our humble village and the most successful out of all the scouters. Sabina thought his passion was more like an obsession, but she was proud of him all the same. He was known as a man who could do it all. He could work alongside different professions as if he had done their vocation all his life. He was recognized as intelligent, efficient, strategic, resourceful, and diligent. Plus, he was known as the traveler who brought back useful information to the village. No one would dispute that he was knowledgeable or that he had keen insights. People always sought him out for counsel, but to Sabina, he was a man who loved her even if he was obsessed with her safety. She loved that he had a ready smile on his face that felt like it was just for her. Being around him felt like being in the sun. A feeling of loving warmth radiated from him, but then again, he was an influencer. Brahm was the only person who gave Sabina a nickname, Beanie. And when he called her by that nickname, it made her feel like she was on top of a mountain, above all the mundane things in her life. Therefore, it didn't matter to Sabina that they spent most of their quality time training in various forms of martial arts. He made time for her, and that was enough. Sabina loved him for all those traits, but she resented that she had to sacrifice her time with him for the greater good of the village. Why was there so little time for her? Shifting her focus, Sabina thought to herself three days to her birth challenge. She hugged herself a little tighter. To do this challenge without her father's presence left her with even less confidence. She was already disgraced to her teachers. How was she to withstand the scrutiny of every decision? How was she supposed to pick three studies to pursue when she was failing them all? And why couldn't the village let her postpone her testing until her father returned from his trip? Who cared if it broke tradition? She didn't understand why it had to be done on her birthday anyway. Her father only returned yesterday. One day with him came and went so quickly. It was all so unfair. She stared fixedly into the sun, refusing to blink, letting her eyes burn and her vision blur as she tried to block out her emotions and mentally prepare to ask her father to stay long enough to see her birth challenge. Brahm had influence with the council, and not because he was an influencer who could make people feel emotions. He was respected by the village. Surely they would arrange his schedule so that he could attend her birth challenge. This should be a reasonable request. He had the right to be there. It was unheard of for parents not to attend their child's birth challenge. The baby fine hair was tickling Sabina's face as a light breeze swept across the open land. No one was out in the fields at this time, and the emptiness soothed her. 
This was a place where Sabina could hide. A place where she could gather her thoughts and get her emotions under control. She knew Brom wouldn't tolerate self-pity. And he would use his emotional gift to make her feel the emotions he wanted her to feel, even if he regretted doing it. As she thought this, she heard the snort of his horse in the distance. She took a deep breath, letting her chest expand as far as it would let her go. You didn't eat dinner with us tonight, Brom commented as he rode lazily up on his rich brown quarter horse mare. And he looked out over the pond, avoiding eye contact. Sabina felt the empty calm she worked so hard to achieve leave her as anxiety took its place. Bile rose in her throat, thinking about Brom leaving. Her feelings intensified as she thought of what she would select for her vocations. What if she chose the wrong study, and it wasn't a good fit for her? Stay focused, Sabina. You don't have time to be weak. It's now or never. You can do this. You can ask him to stay. Ignore the trembling. You are okay. She had come to this vacant pond to plan what she would say to convince Brom to stay for her birth challenge. But now she regretted her decision to skip dinner. She felt responsible for the disappointment thick in his voice. Why was I so selfish? Ugh, that was so childish of me. I only had one day with him. I should have spent the last few minutes with him at dinner before he left. What was I thinking? I could have handled everyone's attention on me for not eating if it meant I could spend more time with him. Sabina now felt like she had wasted precious time with her father. And for what? She wouldn't ask him to stay no matter how badly she wanted to. While Sabina scolded herself, she looked down at the ground and started towing a rock with her boot, wishing she could stomp it into the ground with the attitude and look into her father's eyes with the boldness she longed to have. She wanted to demand that he stayed, but she knew he would go. The blanket of abandonment settled on her shoulders even heavier than it already was. He would go, because he had to. It didn't matter what she was facing, Sabina thought bitterly. That's all right. Brom's voice was gentle now. Oh, he's probably worried about me now. Great, Sabina thought. Brom swung his leg off the horse and stepped down onto the ground, gathering the reins into his wide, calloused hands. He was looking out at the pond, but Sabina felt his discerning stare as soon as it fell upon her. Sabina's head hung low with the weight of shame at missing dinner. She could feel her chin resting on her chest. Sweat appeared on her forehead and her hands as she continued to look down fixedly. Sabina counted in her head, a trick she often did when she felt people staring at her. Are you going to tell me what's on your mind? Or am I to guess? Brahm inquired. Sabina turned her head slightly to see Brahm's one eyebrow raised as he stood with a relaxed stance. She quickly looked back down, grabbed her tunic in her dress, and twisted it in her fist. Sabina bit down on her left lower lip, contemplating what to say. Only moments ago, she thought she was brave enough to ask him to stay. But now, now that he stood patiently before her, 
waiting for her to respond, her nerves fired and her stomach cramped up. Sabina heard him sigh. She continued to look down, biting her lip. Sabina, Rom placed one hand on her shoulder. Sabina, you will be fine without me. Sabina felt his calm energy travel from his hand down to her toes. The warm energy was a gentle wave spreading through her body, and she felt the tension she had been holding slowly release. Her shoulders visibly lowered, and her head slowly lifted until their eyes met. I love you more than life itself, and I will be proud of any study you select, Rom stated. You have nothing to fear and no one's expectations to live up to, except yours, perhaps. He waited a moment, giving Sabina time to hear his words and for her to speak her truth. But she remained silent in the haze of his calm energy. She felt grounded, and in her carefree state, she struggled to be present in this moment. Sabina desperately rehearsed the words he had just spoken in her mind. She tried to hold on to the words before they felt weightless like everything else. She wanted to hug his words into herself. I am loved. He is proud of me. He loves me more than anyone else. It is time for me to go. I will be back in 12 to 15 days, and I want to hear all about your birth challenge. Are you wearing your grandmother's necklace? He spoke all of this in a matter-of-fact tone, not wanting to waste any time. The sun would soon set, and he needed to be on his way. Sabina always thought it was strange that he liked to travel in the dark. Wouldn't it be faster to travel in the daylight, she thought? Pushing her thoughts away, she allowed the familiarity to settle in at her father's goodbye routine. This was their tradition, and Sabina's delicate fingers did not hesitate to pull the waist-length necklace from under her khaki tunic dress. She handed it over to him to hold. Sabina stood motionless and calm before her father as his thumb rubbed against the dark, purple, crystal amulet. She looked at him as he looked at the amulet and said, May my journey be swift and successful. May you keep us both from harm's way and guide me safely home to my daughter I treasure. Brahm looked up and gave his charismatic smile, plus a little quick wink before looking back down. Sabina loved this gift of his departing words and felt her rare smile bloom across her face. May you show favor to Sabina and keep her spirit strong. Breaking the traditional prayer, Brahm added, Bless Sabina's birth challenge and guide her to select the studies best suited for her. By the words we speak into existence, may our words return into action now and forevermore. By faith, they both said in unison. Brahm gently let go of the amulet and rubbed his thumb across Sabina's chin as he searched her eyes. She didn't know what he was looking for, but it seemed like there was more that he wanted to say. She still felt the heaviness 
of his calm energy he gave her, and it made her tongue thick with relaxation. Sabina broke eye contact first, looking over to the pond. The sun was settling into an orange hue, and the water was still. It was a picturesque evening, and Sabina felt no worries. You will be home in 12 to 15 days, she mumbled as she forced her thick tongue to form the words. Sabina knew the answer, but she wanted the affirmation all the same. She heard the squeak of the stiff level rubbing as he saddled into his horse. He looked down at her, waiting for her attention to return to him. Maybe sooner, if the spirits wills it, he confirmed, giving her a bright, reassuring smile. His face became serious once more as he continued. You have a right to be upset with me for missing a big day in your life, Sabina. It's difficult to understand what I am doing without going into an explanation. But I am bringing a messenger named Flan Alf home to help you. This is not a work assignment. I planned on discussing this with you at dinner. Mother will fill you in on the details. Sabina cringed on the inside. She had missed a vital dinner conversation, and now she didn't know what was happening. He had no more time to give her, and it was her fault that she was clueless. Sabina's shame at missing dinner caused her to cast her eyes over the water again, wishing she could avoid this topic. Sabina didn't realize that she was missing another opportunity to ask questions such as, why was this messenger for her? And if it was for her, why couldn't it wait another three days? If you hurry back, dinner may still be there. You know your mother likes to dispose of the food as quickly as it comes. Brahm encouraged Sabina to move on as his way of saying goodbye. With that statement, he wasted no more time. He gathered the horse's rings into one hand and pulled his mare towards his course. As he turned away from her, Sabina's gaze lifted from the water to watch him ride into the tree lines. Her arms dropped with regret by her side, and a burning sensation in her eyes started. Why do I lack courage? Why can't I ask the questions on my mind? Why am I so embarrassed? Am I defective? Sabina wrapped her arms around herself, watching her long, silky, dark, auburn hair blow forward. Her mind was racing as her father left. His forced calmness from his Muwin was already being driven away by her fear. Emotional despair surfaced as her mind circled on the notion that it would be twelve to fifteen days before she saw her father again. She was alone. Sure, she had her beloved and obnoxiously happy sister, and her no-nonsense mother, and her only trustworthy friend, Crystal, who was weirder than she was. But nobody understood her like her father. He was the one person who could see behind her veil with no explanation needed on what she felt or why. Sabina sighed, resigned. This was her life, and there was no hope of changing that. She was invisible when she wanted to shine, and the focus on everyone's attention when she wished to be invisible 
like all the times that she was clumsy, stuttering, pitiful young girl. She was too tall, too meek, too unaccomplished. She was nothing except the villager's well-respected scouter's daughter. She clenched the dress in her hands and felt her revulsion of herself spiraling through her. Part of her wanted to collapse in a heap on the tall grass, but the more sensible side of her wanted to see her father for as long as possible. Therefore, she stood and watched him go, a small act of defiance towards the weaker side of herself. As she watched, Ram's back suddenly became rigid. His mare stopped trotting towards the tree line, and he was motionless for a long, drawn-out moment. Brom turned abruptly in his saddle to look back at Sabina, and then looked pointedly into the trees over his left shoulder. He was far enough away that Sabina could not make out his facial expressions. She looked at him questioningly. She was not sure why he had stopped writing, and she quickly wiped at the wealth of tears on her face. Was he changing his mind about leaving? Did he feel guilty for leaving me to face my birth challenge alone? Could I be saved from embarrassing myself? Maybe I could go with him. Hope started to lift Sabina's spirits as she watched Brom return in her direction. Brom shifted about face quickly, and his horse sprinted towards Sabina with blurring legs. She watched Brom rise out of his saddle, leaning into his mare's neck so he could gain faster speed. Sabina's eyes narrowed, looking to see his expression, and what she saw on his face made Sabina swallow hard and her stomach drop. The urgency was plain on his face, and she had no idea what had changed. He was talking to her before he reached her, and despite his behavior appearing panic, he spoke with calm control. You will not want to hear this, Sabina, he called in a firm but resigned voice, loud enough that Sabina could hear him over the pounding hooves. But there is no time for discussion. I have set up some union interviews for you. Sabina's breath caught too fast in an inhale. She felt like she was falling forward. Her mouth fell open and her hands opened wide. She stood frozen like prey before a large predator. Except this wasn't a predator that she was willing to fight. Brahm stopped his mare mere feet before Sabina, which caused the mare to high step and turn in a circle. Beanie, it's only a possibility. Brahm pleaded, begging her to listen. You don't have to agree with anything you don't want to, but it's time to consider this option. You are turning sixteen in three days, and... and... Brom rubbed the back of his buzzed head, dropping his head as if he was unsure what else to say. Sabina strained her senses to hear what he wasn't saying despite the ringing in her ears. She was breathing quickly, like she was looking down from a cliff, contemplating jumping into the depths of the cold, dark water below. He, he wants me to be mated? Why? Who would even consider being in a union with me? What do I have to offer? His head snapped up, 
and he turned in his saddle, looking over his right shoulder back into the woods. What was he looking at? Not understanding what held his attention, Sabina followed his gaze, but didn't see anything or hear anything in the woods. Was he hearing a messenger? Sabina could feel a slight energy shift, and she noticed Brahm was acting like he could hear or see something she could not. He was staring into the woods with complete focus, as if he was having a conversation and not present with her. Without realizing it, Sabina unintentionally moved forward, getting closer to the mare, closer than she felt comfortable doing. She realized what she had done and stumbled back at once. Balanced in a safe distance from the mare once more, Sabina looked at her father. The pleading had dropped from Brahm's voice when he spoke again. Instead, Brahm's voice carried an intensity to it that made Sabina want to withdraw into herself. Something angered him. He stared directly into her eyes with a face that commuted his sincerity. No, father, he forced out. Once, two, tell his child. They can't reach for the stars. But I am telling you, he finished saying with a softer but firm tone, it is for the best if you don't. She tried to soak in this information. Was he angry with me? Had I failed him? She whispered why, too softly for anyone but herself to hear. Brahm tried to speak gentler, but he spoke quickly, never taking his eyes from Sabina. This isn't going to make sense, and it's hurtful to hear. It's a tough conversation to have, but I need you to trust me, Beanie. I don't want to hurt you, and I don't want you to get hurt. Tying to one of the men from your union interviews will be the safest option for you. Father! Sabina choked out with a dry throat as she tried to slow her breathing down. Immediately, her mind came up with plenty of examples for her to deserve such low expectations from her father. Did he think I was not good enough to do anything except tying? What had I done to deserve such low expectations from him? Sabina felt like she should have been sad at these thoughts. But they were thoughts she had about herself for a long time. Sabina, I thought we had more time. I wanted to wait until you were further in your studies, but... Brahm pushed on with firmness. You need to meet these men. It is important. I ask you to consider each one of them and pick one for your future. Brahm rushed on before Sabina could object. I want the world for you, Beanie, but what I want most is to know you are safe. These men are good men despite whatever first impression you have of them. I trust them to take good care of you, but more importantly, I trust them with you. He paused briefly and went on. Can that be enough for you to at least keep an open mind about a union interview with each one of them, regardless if it ends up in tying? Slowing down his speech, he gently asked, Will you grant your father peace of mind, knowing you are safe. Sabina faltered in telling her father what she really felt. She wasn't ready for a union interview, 
or to be in a union, let alone a life-altering decision like tying. She hadn't even had a friendly, flirty conversation with anyone. How was she supposed to adopt to the thought of considering a life mate? This was an unspoken topic between them, yet it was clear to her that he had planned this all out. It was something Sabina had not contemplated, but for her father, he obviously had. She felt unprepared for this conversation and didn't see a way out of answering him. Sabina fisted her tunic dress in her discomfort. She berated herself for not predicting that he would have devised a plan for her future. She knew how obsessed he was with her safety. Sabina allowed her annoyance with Brahm to register in her mind. He could have at least discussed these topics with her while strategically putting her future into place. Instead, he decided to spring this on her with no time to discuss it. She felt cornered and pressured into accepting his plan. As Sabina talked to herself, she paced back and forth in a tight loop. She lifted her arms up and let them fall down as she discussed with herself. Eventually, the initial shock wore off and her annoyance simmered. She tried to think quickly. He was asking for her permission. No, he was really asking for her cooperation. Sabina did not delude herself into thinking that she had a choice in this matter. When it came to her safety, Brahm did not budge. She did not understand why her future mate fell into the spectrum of her safety. She shook her head. Only Brahm knew the answer to that thought. Taking a moment to repeat to herself what her father wanted, Sabina rewarded Brahm's request in her head. What she understood was that her father needed her to consider these trustworthy men he had picked out for her as a potential mate. And the result of her agreeing to be in a union with one of these men would bring him peace of mind. He implied his ultimate goal of tying, but he was asking for something less permanent to start. As she waded through what he was saying, she felt pressure, knowing that he rarely asked her to do anything except things he considered pertained to her safety. A quick thought rushed into her mind. What if I don't want a mate? Sabina dismissed that thought with a huff. Who was she kidding? Her independence stemmed from the fact that no one wanted to spend time with her. It was a force of nature that she seemed to repel people. Therefore, she was always by herself. Most of the time, if not all of the time. Admittedly, she dreamed of being included, especially among her classmates. She longed to be asked to go fishing on a Friday night date. But since she was old enough to go fishing, the invitations never came. Instead, she sat at home waiting to hear her classmates' conversations as they returned from fishing. Sabina would listen to their conversations as they passed by her window. Their stories were reminders of what Sabina couldn't have. The truth was that Sabina had given up on the idea of catching the attention of any one of the many crushes she had. Despite not being asked out by any of the boys, she still secretly wished 
for an attractive mate with thick, wavy, long hair and a well-trimmed but stubble beard. A man admired for his many talents and treated Sabina respectfully with his light touches to her lower back as he escorted her to the village weekly performances. Okay, okay, okay. Sabina had desires like any other young adult. But if she was honest with herself, she avoided thinking about the topic of romance because it hurt too much. Plus, she dreaded the idea of getting asked for a union interview by Murph, who still ate his boogers right after he examined them on his finger. Murph was likely her only willing candidate. Sabina had accepted that she would be alone for the rest of her life or be stuck in a union with someone like Murph. Solo sounded better. Sabina continued to argue with herself in her head and worked through her list of concerns. Sabina decided she did not need to worry about standing out in her village for making a union declaration if she proceeded with her father's plans. According to the laws of Sylvidone, a union was required before a tying. And although there was no mandatory minimum length of time for a union to exist before a tying, it was frowned upon to have a tying before at least one year of being in a union. Therefore, it was rare for someone as young as 16 to consider tying. Besides, that was not what he was asking her to do. He was asking her to consider a union. Even if she did enter a union, it could last years and never end in a tying. One could have multiple unions throughout their dating life. A union could be broken off at any time by either individual without repercussions. And another interview could be entered into immediately if chosen. Or a couple could decide to stay in a union and keep their possibilities open indefinitely. The fact was, a union was nothing more than an official public announcement that two people were exclusively seeing each other and seeing what life would be like together, with the possibility of a tying. Validating her argument further, Sabina reminded herself that it was common for unions to be declared at her age, especially for those who did not pursue studies in the tradle or for families with strong moo-wins like her father. The reality was that parents had the authority to secure a potential mate for their child through union interviews to protect their family's lineage, regardless of the number of school years completed or the child's age. She didn't care what the laws of Sylvidome said. It was her life and her decision Sabina bolstered to herself. Nevertheless, she understood why parents set up union interviews. Most families desired to align their household with another household with similar status or level of Muwin to ensure that the future offspring would have the best life or chance of having a Muwin. The people of Silverdome were superstitious people who believed that two individuals tying with known Muwins had a better chance of giving birth to a child with one of the eight Muwins. They believed in this superstition even though research could not validate it. 
The reality was no one could explain while some individuals were born with Muwins and others were born without. If a child was not completely independent, an adult, a union interview required the blessing of both sets of parents with a notification sent to the Ori, which is a nominated council containing rare Muwins and a person from each sector of the village. These union interviews could be pre-arranged as early as birth. However, the law mandated that tines required the blessing of an Ori or a rare seer. Even with the Ori's blessing, both sets of parents may still be involved if someone in the village wanted to tie with someone from outside the dome walls. Therefore, tines were a serious matter and the exception. In contrast, pre-arranged union interviews were a formality that took time to arrange. Every parent scrutinized and laboriously analyzed union choices before giving their permission for the union interview. Her father would be no different. And although Sabina avoided most people, the village square was where union interviews were discussed and a topic of popular conversation. Unions were something one deliberated on. People were curious about what each family was doing and why one strategy may be more beneficial than another. Not to mention, union interviews provided entertainment, especially when conflict existed, such as when one parent refused to give their blessing for the union. Often, parents were more invested in the union resulting in a tying than the intended couple. However, the laws of Sylvidome protected children's rights too. Sylvidome prided itself on agency and choosing one's path. The adult children were protected in three ways. First, union interviews could only be conducted between two adults. Parents had to wait until after their child completed their transformation into adulthood with the birth challenge ceremony, which was three days away for Sabina. Second, no one could be forced into a union or tying, no matter how much a parent insisted. The adult child was required to respect their parents' wishes by going on a union interview. However, it was solely up to the mutual agreement of the two adults whether or not they chose to enter into a union. Third, by declaring a union, parents were giving up their rights over their child on all matters from that day on. Sylvidone had three stages to adulthood that all villagers respected. The first stage was the birth challenge, which was the initiation and introduction into adulthood. In this stage, the adult child still had the protection and guidance of a parent. In the other two stages, the adult child was permanently separated from their parents. The next two stages could happen in any order, but once either was chosen, the individual was considered independent of their parents, and from that point on, a full adult. The other two stages were serving the village full-time and selecting a partner, whether it be in the form of a union or a tying. Thus, parents lost control over their adult children's decision once they entered into a union 
or began to serve in the village. This was another reason why union interviews took a long time to form. Once parents gave permission, they were not permitted to interfere with their adult child's exploration of what their life would be like with this other person. It was considered an experimental time where one could see if their intended partner made them a better person and made their life easier, or if the mate complicated the person's life. All of this was judged by how it affected one's servitude to the village, which was considered one's calling, their dharma. It also allowed everyone to transition from living by their parents' rules to finding the rules of understanding in that unique relationship. It was as if a union was a test to see if the relationship made each person thrive or suffer. On the opposite perspective, if one or both parents refused the couple's blessing for the union, the couple could still go to the ori and plead their case. The other option was to accept a full-time vocation and declare oneself independent. For two independent adults could enter into a union without their parents' permission. But no matter what, tyings required the ori's blessing. The third option was ignored by most people because they did not risk going to see a seer. If a seer did not see the couple's future together, then the seer would not bless them, which meant no one would bless them. Seers were a last resort if anyone wanted to remain together in the village. Sylvidome Village had one rare seer, which meant that she could see outside her bloodline and far into the future of any person she willed. No one questioned her. Once the seer looked into the couple's future and found no evidence of their life together, no one would bless that couple. To pursue a union or a tying after the village seeker's bleak prediction meant the couple faced being exiled for their love, which hardly anyone chose to do. However, some couples would defy her words and continue to date each other. Eventually, those relationships ended, whether it was days later or years later. On rare occasions, the seer did bless the tying of a union. Sabina loved those stories the best and would stay in the village square to hear all the details about the couple. She read all the remaining books that existed before the nuclear war, and savored the books that told the story of two individuals falling in love despite tremendous odds. The concept of love being the most remarkable treasure seemed magical to her. Raised in a village where people valued Muins above everything else, Sabina found herself smitten with the idea of tying for love. Sylvidone operated from the mindset that the greatest blessing was to have a village of talented Muins, and that tying with a Muin was one of the highest status and achievements. Regardless if you were fortunate enough or not to tie with someone with a Muin, the people of Sylvidome taught that love was to be earned through respect, caring for one another, honoring each person's individuality, and helping each other towards their goals. Most people chose to be in a union because they found someone that made their life easier. Thus, love was a byproduct of having a mate or a partner, not its reason. 
Sabina recalled when a neighbor stayed out past dark with her partner and how upset her parents were when she returned home for a visit, stumbling through the front door with her hair a mess and lipstick applied under her lip. Had she not been in a union, her parents would have given her a week's worth of extra chores. But because of the union, her parents were forced to ignore the unpresentable behavior. Eventually, that girl disbanded the union. There were rumors that she dissolved the union because it caused her mother enough distress that she needed to stay in the healer's hub for weeks. Never having had a relationship and burning with curiosity about them, Sabina wondered if the girl decided that her partner was not good for her, or if the relationship lacked enough structure, as it clearly didn't lack attraction or fun. Maybe the girl couldn't live with her parents' silent disappointment either. Sabina always questioned how much autonomy she truly had over her life. Or, perhaps, she was the only one who felt the need for her parents' approval. Either way, it should have been a promising match. Now that Sabina thought of that memory, she was struck by how odd it was that Brahm was asking her to consider a union. She couldn't picture Brahm letting her go anywhere with a man without him escorting her or having a seer do a reading on each man's energy beforehand. That's how overprotective he was. From Sabina's perspective, Brahm asking her to willingly enter into a union was like asking an orangutan to walk away from her baby. Brahm may have had a seer's reading on every possible union interview for all she knew. Sabina wasn't sure how Brahm was protecting her, but Sabina knew Brahm had a plan, like always. She also knew Brahm expected her to follow it. Her self-doubt increased as she attempted to figure out Brahm's plan. Bitterly, Sabina recalled how many of her classmates were already in or at least had one or two unofficial relationships with someone without their parents' knowledge or permission. Technically, the parents' consent was not required to date, but it was understood that you asked out of respect. It wasn't surprising that no one had expressed an interest in Sabina, even though it was common to start dating as early as 15. How could Sabina expect to date when no one included her in any activities outside of school? Believing that she would never be asked for a date, Sabina concluded that this might be the only way a man showed interest in her. For she was always alone, and Sabina was tired of being alone. Sabina wistfully pictured her dreamy man hugging her as she completed her birth challenge. Sabina envisioned him waiting as long as it took for her to complete her challenge. He would embrace her in a way that told the world he didn't want to let go of her. She liked thinking about how he would only have eyes for her. Sabina could almost smile at this fantasy. At the very least, this thought comforted her and made her desire a relationship even more. But she wasn't sure she was brave enough to talk to a stranger. Sabina struggled to express her thoughts no matter who she spoke to. She became nervous and started analyzing what she should or shouldn't say. If her emotions were too escalated, she would begin to stutter. Sabina hated 
stuttering. Stuttering guaranteed unwanted attention. People would turn from their conversations and look at her with irritation. She would rather remain silent and unnoticed than be judged as annoying. Even with her father, she barely spoke, and Sabina loved him deeply. Surely her father had explained her shyness to these men, and these men accepted the possibility of a union with her anyway. It was likely that Brahm thought of everything. Brahm leaned forward in his saddle as if he was going to dismount. He was impatient, and he had a distance to travel tonight. Sabina needed to answer him, and now. With little time to think this decision through further, she relied on one truth she knew down to her core. She trusted her father more than she trusted herself. Sabina could do nothing more than nod and internally question her sanity simultaneously. She trusted her father, but this scared her in a way that made her question what she trusted more, that her father knew best or her lack of courage to defy him. If he wanted her to meet someone, then Sabina would do so. She would worry about her shyness later. Besides, all tying required both individuals in a relationship to agree to a lifetime commitment and be blessed by the Ori, which was no small task. These union interviews were unlikely to result in anything but a chance to date someone. Feeling like she could breathe more easily, Sabina focused on her father. Once Brahm saw the nod of consent, he finally took his discerning eyes off of Sabina. You could see the relief flash across his face. Yet when he spoke, Sabina could hear the regret in his voice, and maybe a little anger too. You deserve a better life, Sabina. I know that. Brahm slapped his leg and then rubbed the back of his head. What is it? Tell me, father, Sabina muttered reaching out her hand to rest it on her father's leg, giving him comfort despite her fear that this mare would trample her. She was automatically more concerned for her father than her own discomfort. Sabina didn't know what caused her father's outburst, and that concern helped her resist focusing on how large the muscles of the mare's hind legs were while they involuntarily twitched. Looking down, Brahm still had his hand resting on the back of his head, grasping for control of his emotions as Sabina anxiously waited for him to tell her what was happening. Brahm slowly lifted his head and looked into Sabina's eyes as if his head weighed a hundred pounds. There was an unbearable sadness in his eyes for a brief second. It was like looking into a man's face that was kneeling in the dirt hours after watching his home burn with his family inside it. The tears dried, but the devastation already hollowed out his features. This was the face of a man who had lost everything he loved. Sabina didn't understand this look, but she felt his anguish settle over her. Then, one blink later, his demeanor changed back to business mode and his spine straightened. He cleared his throat, pulling on the reins, causing his mare to step a comfortable distance away from Sabina. Your mother has the details, Brom went on soberly. He slowed his speech as if he didn't want to go on speaking, but was obligated to tell Sabina the details before he left. The first introduction 
will start one day after your birth challenge. Most of these men are from other villages. Sabina groaned at hearing this news. Her emotions quickly shifted at the details of her union interview, from concern over her father's fleeting glimpse of anguish to the knot of nerves in her stomach. I know you don't like to do anything outside the norm, Brahm admitted with a hint of urgency back in his voice. But you have an opportunity that few are given because of my connections with other towns. The villagers know me, and they will expect me to give you every advantage I can. Sabina stared at her father, with her eyebrows pinched, her arms crossed, and her weight shifted to her left hip. And she waited for this nightmare of a speech to be over. The anguished look she saw on Brahm's face was already pushed to the back of her mind. Sabina was in her, you want to bet, stance. She may not be able to tell her father with words that she didn't believe this was normal, but he understood her body language. Sabina trusted her father, but she wasn't buying into this fairy tale that a union interview with an outsider wouldn't draw much attention to herself. Sabina would rather muck out these twitchy mare's stalls than be the town's talk. Plus, I have distinguished some meetings so that no one will be suspicious of all the union interviews I have coordinated for you. You do not need to be concerned about unwanted attention, Brom declared. This whole scenario just got better and better. Sabina looked at her father with apprehension as she pictured a strange man walking through the village and all the questions it would incite. People would want to know where the stranger was from and what he was doing here. They'd want to know more about this stranger and why Brahm was interested in him for his daughter. They would want to know why he is special, and that alone would draw attention to Sabina. The entire village respected Brahm, and they would want their daughters to meet the man Brahm picked out for his precious daughter. They will be waiting to pounce on that man as soon as they see this stranger lose interest in her. And how many union interviews did he have set up for her? Sabina wasn't used to choices. Mistaking the look on Sabina's face, Brahm switched tactics and looked out nonchalant demeanor. Before you panic, the Ori knows of my plans, and they have approved these men to enter our village. I have taken care of everything. All you must do is meet these men and get to know them, he explained. Leaning slightly forward, as if he was revealing a secret, he encouraged, Let them get to know you. He raised both eyebrows as if this was a novel idea. Yeah, right, she thought. What is there to know? I sit at home by myself most nights. I like to go on long walks. I have taken up wood carving to pass the time, and... I spend a lot of time training by myself, which I'm not allowed to talk to anyone about. It won't take very long for them to get to know me, father. Brom straightened in his saddle, lifting one shoulder and simultaneously tilting his head towards it, as if his shrug silently communicated that this was all no big deal. Just talk to them. Smile at them. Pretend you aren't terrified of making a fool of yourself. Sabina had no idea what to say to these potential partners or how to entertain them during their interview. 
Maybe her father had thought of that too. Sabina decided that must be why he insisted she had nothing to worry about. May I suggest that you give each of them your true consideration. They will be staying in the village or near the village for the Ori's use as part of my arrangement with them. They are to become silver domies. Sabina's stomach clenched. Knowing that she had to live in the same village with failed union interviews rocked her to the core. She was hyperventilating on the inside. Brom turned his horse towards the direction to leave once more, but stopped. Sabina could tell he needed to go, but was uncharistically indecisive about something. With his mind made up, he dropped his act of nonchalance and turned back to her a different man. His stare was intense. It was as if his eyes were the intensity of someone fighting in the arena. Like he was studying his opponent's body for clues to his next strike. She had seen those eyes when Brom was ready to give a killing blow to the raiders that had attacked Silverdome. Seriousness was plain on his face. It was as if he was in a different dimension. His body was there, but his spirit was not. His intensity was there, but his personality was not. A soft breeze of Brahm's emotions enveloped her. She didn't think he intentionally used his gift on her now. Sabina felt his energy radiating out of him. She could see the tension in his forearms, and his jaw clenched. Sabina knew how serious he was when he barked, Don't leave the village, no matter what. This is the safest place for you, and you don't show your talents to anyone unless it's an emergency. These men I have sent for you will help you with that. What is wrong? Sabina stuttered under the warning. Sabina knew these rules. He had given them often, but not like this, not with pure rage tickling at the back of her neck. She had never feared her father before, but the anger encircling her wasn't his emotion. She was sure of it. It felt different from his energy for some reason. She had no idea what the tulum was going on. She knew she wanted this conversation to be over. She started sending silent pleas to the universe that the rage would dissipate. You know how rare my talents are as an influencer. Brom didn't wait for her to respond which wouldn't have mattered anyway. Sabina was too alarmed to speak. She felt even more unsteady on her feet than when he had first came rushing back to her. You know the stories of the Agni. Sabina nodded without hesitation. She was fascinated by the eight Muins. Secretly, she desired to develop one of the eight Muins, even if it was one of the abundant talents, like a performer. She wanted a Muin badly enough that it didn't matter to her if it risked the attention of the Seekers. However, she was three days away from her birth challenge and hadn't shown any signs or aptitudes for any of the Muins. She wholeheartedly believed that she should have a Muin. She had convinced herself that a Muin would solve her problems. If Sabina had a Muin, she could show all those that ignored her and made her feel insignificant that she was important. She was valuable. 
Therefore, the closer her birth challenge came, the more she altered between berating herself for lacking a Muin and lifting her spirits up by reminding herself that a Muin could develop any time over her tradal years. Many before her had Muins awaken in their birth challenge. She still had time, and therefore she still had hope. The world is searching for the Agni, and villages are... He broke off and gathered himself. The rage left him in a whoosh, as if the emotion had been sucked from the air around her. Sabina's hair flew forward for a moment, and then all was still. She felt dizzy with relief and struggled to listen through the spinning sensation she felt. Brahm's no-nonsense demeanor had returned. His intensity was still there, but the intensity in his body was normal. Brahm continued with the impertinent information, taking no notice of Sabina's unfocused eyes. You are in danger for two reasons, he lectured quickly. One, you were born from a parent with a rare talent. Two, in four days, you enter your tradal years. So far, the seers have only been able to prophesy that the Agni will be born from someone with a rare talent and that the Agni should be around 17 years of age today. The age of someone in their tradal years. That makes you a target based on those two facts. Thousands of individuals match that description, but I won't take any chances. Now, go see your mother. I will return quickly with a messenger, but first I must tell the Ori that the union interviews are beginning. Brom didn't say goodbye before his mare sprinted off towards the village. He left Sabina standing by the pond, bewildered. The roller coaster of emotions, the shifting of her plans, the uncertainty of her father's behavior, and the quiet surroundings made Sabina feel briefly desolate. Sabina was officially freaked out. What had just happened? She wanted answers immediately. Answers would give her some solid footing in the sinking sand of uncertainty. Starting with the possibility that her father had been possessed by evil spirits on his last business trip. She didn't think that possession by a spirit was possible, but her body gave a tiny little jerk at the thought of the soft rub of anger against her skin on her neck that she felt. Her long, thick hair shielded her against the wind, and yet she was chilled at the energy that had touched her so intimately on her neck. Knowing that she wasn't going to get any answers by giving in to her despair and being creeped out of the thought of lingering by this pond, where she may never forget the grasp of rage all around her, she was ready to bolt. Questions plagued Sabina as she made the long trek towards Sector 3 of Silverdome Village, where her family's stone tut sat indistinguishable from the rows of other tuts. She walked with her head hung low and her arms wrapped around her, sure-footed from all the times she walked this path before. Her brain was muddled with worry, so she ignored the burning in her calves as she walked with purpose. She processed and analyzed the bizarre conversation with her father as she walked. Why had his demeanor changed? Recounting the events, she recalled that he was his no-nonsense, charismatic self before he left the first time. Then he returned to her with panicked actions. Then he became firm with her, followed by pleading, which wasn't out of the norm. 
Brown was a man with great emotional control, yet he was suddenly frustrated enough to slap his leg. Then the haunting devastation on his face. What was he thinking about at those moments? Every time she thought of Brom straining to lift his head like some invisible giant was holding his head down in submission, only to look at her with heart-breaking expression caused worry in Sabina. The memory triggered a small stab in her heart. Brom was a rare influencer, and with his talents, he could cause you to feel what he wanted you to feel without touching you. He was also disciplined, and he didn't spill his emotions like that. Yet Sabina could feel his emotions. She could feel his anguish through the touch of her hand, and with that touch came an image like a memory. She couldn't get the image out of her mind. Sabina could see a delicate, thin knife stabbing through her skin. The musky air brought Sabina's attention back to her surroundings. She was getting closer to her hunting grounds. The path she had created was well-worn after years of escaping to this pond for privacy. And with the sun setting, she would not see if any of the animal traps were moved. Some of the hunters may still be in the woods trying to catch some of the night creatures. But Sabina always had her bright orange scarf. She tugged it from her pocket and adjusted it on her face without a hitch in her step. Lastly, she pulled out her pine wood scent from her tunic pocket and dabbed it on the inside of her wrist. Coming across a violent creature or even a hunter mistaking her for an animal was a low risk, but Brahms' relentless drills made her discipline second nature. Sabina dropped the uncertainty she cloaked herself in. The worry over her father disappeared as she entered the forest. Sabina became the self-assured hunter Brahm trained her to be. She slid the small hunting knife from the boot and stepped forward as she walked sure-footed through the path. She walked with the awareness of her surroundings and in complete concentration. And when she crossed the woods without permission, Sabina tucked the scarf in her pocket, slid the knife back into her boot holster, and rubbed some dirt on her wrist. Past the danger of the woods, her pace doubled. Her thoughts returned to her father. That's when she realized she had walked nearly two miles, oblivious that it was the first time in her life that she hadn't watched her father leave town. She soothed herself by reminding herself that she would have watched him leave had she not felt like she was boneless and struggling to breathe after feeling that burning rage around her. She couldn't recall a time when she hadn't watched her father leave, but she also couldn't recall a time when her father lost control of his emotions either. What had happened? Where had the rage come from? And if it came from her father, why didn't it consume her with the feeling of rage? She only felt the rage externally, not internally. Brahm's talents worked by making her feel emotions as if they were hers. But this emotion was clearly not hers. Inadvertently, her demeanor lost its hunter confidence, and she was once more wrapping her arms around herself and tucking her chin. Sabina bit her lip, worrying at it, and felt the crack of her dried lips. Then she tasted blood. Her whole mouth was dry and hot, and the sandpaper tongue was getting stuck to the roof of her mouth. She was anxious to get back and to get a drink of water. 
After 40 minutes of worrying about her father's shifting demeanor and trying to figure out why she was enveloped by someone or something's rage, Sabina hadn't drawn any conclusions. To distract herself, Sabina imagined the possibility of finding happiness with one of the men from the union interviews. She could allow herself the privilege to hope for happiness, even if she wouldn't admit it to anyone else. She wanted love. Who didn't? She thought defensively. She wanted to be someone's whole world. She wanted what everyone seemed to have all around her. It would be nice to have my fingers lightly intertwined with someone as we walked through the village, or to cuddle with as a cool breeze swept across us as we watched a performance at the mocks. Sabina huffed. Who was she kidding? She would settle for a friendship, the simple joy of having someone she knew she could tell everything to instead of having all her conversations in her mind. Someone to share a meal with or someone to exchange gifts with the day of giving. The chance to stop pretending that she was content to be on her own wherever she went. Someone who looked for her at gatherings, who would stop by her tut when she was sick with a story to share about the day, or someone who would know that she liked dark chocolate above all desserts. It was fun to think of possibilities, but that small voice inside of her wanted to dwell on how easily everything could go wrong. She had never known a time when she didn't blunder under the pressure of attention. Admittedly, she didn't know what to expect from these union interviews or how much her father shared with these men about who she was. Did they know she was an inconvenience to the village? Would that embarrass them? Would they still want to be in a union with her if they knew what she was really like? How old were these men? What if they were way older than her, toothless, rude, or short? The questions came faster and faster. Who did Brom want her to meet from Sylvie Dome? He said most of the men came from outside of the village, which implied she would have union interviews with at least one person from the village, she reasoned. Sabina had no clue who it could be. She would have noticed someone paying attention to her. No one had ever approached her or watched her from afar, as she knew of. It had to be someone older than her, someone she didn't see daily. Who was older than her and not in a union or tied? Chai! Chai was quiet. He was six years older and unattached. Chai was nice. He hadn't done anything nice specifically for her, but he had at least helped clean up after gatherings. He wasn't bad looking either. He had a long birthmark that went along one side of his nose, but that didn't bother her. She knew he worked with land preservations, and he was always daydreaming. Could that be why her father thought they would be a good choice for each other? They could both be lost in thought with no need for words. She wondered where the other men were from. Sandy? Forge? Probably. They were the closest village to Sylvidome. Why would they want to leave their family to be in a union with a stranger? Would their family transfer here too? What did Brom have to trade with to allow these strangers access for our exclusive village? Sabina had reached the signs of homes on the outskirts of the sector two and three with the sun setting before she finally asked herself, what if I don't like any of them? She may not want to feel invisible, 
but she didn't always want to be seen either. How many union interviews do people typically have after a birth challenge? Two? Maybe three? This wasn't something she had paid attention to. Many parents arranged union interviews that were pre-planned from the child's birth. Did Brom have a union interview planned for her since her birth? One that he didn't feel like sharing with the village or with her? How many union interviews happened before someone was considered dating or a union took place? What was considered normal? Parrot had four union interviews several winters back when she finished schooling. Sabina remembered that Parrot had a list of qualities her potential mate would possess. A perfect list. She would not tolerate anyone who did not match this perfect list. She slammed the door shut once when a suitor showed up to ask her on a date. He didn't even have time to ask her out. Sabina remembered her wearing her white tall globe dress the next day when the story spread throughout the village. Those pursuing studies and beautification wore toggled dresses. A growl erupted from Sabina while walking when she was two tuts away from her home. She finally had an appetite and it had been two hours after dinner. Sabina untied her boots and slipped them off, resting them on the side of the steps where her mother and sister's shoes were. She approached the water basin on the covered porch without a sound and poured a small amount of water on a clean white cloth resting on the arm of a wooden rocking chair. Sabina considered taking a drop of water to moisten her mouth, but thought better of it. She was beyond thirsty, but didn't want to risk getting sick from unfiltered water. Instead, she briskly washed her face and hands with the wet washcloth before placing it on the floor. She got her second clean cloth and repeated the process, but this time while standing on the wet cloth. Finally, she sat down and wiped her feet off with a second washcloth, throwing both dirty washcloths into the empty washpan. Standing up and walking over to the plank door, Sabina took a deep breath before she faced her mother. Thank you for staying with me to the end of the podcast. My intention is for you to receive valuable content that leads you to create the life you desire. I certainly love sharing my gifts with you. Could I please ask that you share this podcast with your friends and loved ones if you found value in it? Also, it would be so helpful if you could leave a five-star review on Apple. I would greatly appreciate it. If you would like to be interviewed on this podcast, if you have a topic that you would like me to cover, or if you would like to work one-on-one with me, then DM me on my socials. Everything you need to find me is in the show notes. Make it a great day.